Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. So glad that you have decided to tune in today. Uh, we're also excited that a longtime sponsor is back on the show. It's our friends from Portable Church Industries. Listen, I love these guys. Uh, they are, I've been working with them literally for almost two decades. Uh, you know, chances are, if you're thinking about multi-site, if you're thinking about church planting, you are going to end up being portable. These guys are the people you should talk to. They help churches like you that are looking to take your ministries mobile, uh, whether that's into a school, a movie theater, that sort of thing. You need to talk to Portable Church. Not only will they provide coaching, they'll do entire system design, but all the way through to building it and delivery, everything from audio, visual, lighting, all the way down to baby diapers. I want you to drop by portablechurch.com forward slash unseminary. If you're thinking about going portable this year, 2020, now is the time to reach out to them. Portablechurch.com forward slash unseminary. Now, you're going to love them. You're going to love today's podcast. We're doing something different. I am asked an industry expert to give you and I advice in our church. Lean in. My friend Joel Percy's on the podcast today. Take care. Let's go. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. Well, happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. We have got a different episode for you today here in 2020. We are trying some new things, trying to help you. You know, our motto here around Unseminary is always helping church leaders. And so one of the things I want to do this year is actually expose you to some different leaders that you may be not listening to, to actually encourage you to be to be looking for other leaders in your world that you should be listening to. today. So today, uh, I've got a friend of mine, Joel Percy, who is a consultant uh, who really helps retailers with this whole area of personalization and loyalty. And I know what you're saying. What, normally we have church leaders on. Why would we have Joel on? Well, Joel's not only a friend. Uh, he and I did actually serve together at the Meeting House years ago in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, but he really has been spending the last number of years working uh, in the retail space. And what I want to do is encourage us to learn from uh, from him specifically today. But then there's probably church leaders or uh, marketplace leaders in your church that you could be learning from. And I'm hoping this motiv- this motivates you to do that. So, Joel, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Rich. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so glad that you've uh, decided to tune in. Um, so you've been uh, so I, I love what you do, and I, I love this kind of whole area of um, you know your you know your business, this whole area of trying to help retailers uh, with personalization and loyalty. What does that look like when you think about like, is this like when I go into Kroger's and they say like, Hey, do you have the Kroger club thing? And I scan it. Tell me about that. What's give us a sense of the broad category first of kind of what you're helping retailers with, with, and then we'll try to back back into what we do at the local church. Perfect. Yeah. So, I mean, I think big picture, there's been uh, this huge trend over, let's say the last 20 years in retail of getting loyalty cards into people's hands. And from a customer perspective, it usually looks like it's about discounts, rewards, uh, deals, and that kind of stuff. From the retailer perspective, it is all about data. So it's about giving those retailers insights into who buys what, how often, what else do they buy when they buy it, all of that. And so there's this whole kind of industry that's probably unseen to a lot of people uh, around using that data to determine, okay, what products are we going to sell, what prices. And then probably in the last five years has really ramped up around, okay, I'm going to market to people 
um, in a really personalized mm-hmm. way. So, hey, Rich, I know you love these gluten-free crackers. Here's a deal mm-hmm. on it, right? Yeah. So that kind of stuff. <laughs> Interesting. Now, yeah, so like it's like just trying to highlight for folks, it's like when you go to CVS and they have the never ending receipt, right, with all those, um, you know, all those different discounts on it. This is really trying to drive, um, you know, people's behavior back to the store, I'm assuming. What would you say as as lay people in your, you know, in this area, what would be maybe two or three kind of surprising general insights that organizations are getting from these kinds of loyalty programs that that might actually be opposite to what we would think as you know people who don't normally journey in this area sure yeah so i mean one of the big ones and and this is surprising for customers but it's sometimes even surprising for the retailers we work with them a lot on kind of learning this uh, habit is that when you get an offer on or a coupon on a specific item it has almost nothing to do with selling that item. So let's say I figure out that you have a dog, Rich, and I want to send you a coupon for dog food. The natural response is to say, okay, the goal here is to sell more dog food. To a degree, that's true. But Mm -hmm. the real sort of hidden agenda there is to get you to my store. Because nobody ever walked into a supermarket Mm. and walked out with just one thing in the cart. And so I'm willing to give you a discount on the dog food because I know that you're going to walk past the ice cream and you're going to remember you needed batteries and et cetera, Mm. et cetera. And you're going to walk out with $150 worth of stuff and you just came to get the discount I gave you on dog food. So that's kind of one of the key, um, you know, people don't typically realize that's what's going on and even within the retailers they can sometimes struggle to get that because there is a guy whose job is just to sell dog food uh and so he (laughs) needs to sort of play a role that says i'm willing to take a hit to get rich in the store uh and get that big basket and get him keep coming back to the store over and over again yeah there's the the dog food sales guy is like i don't want to take a 10 percent discount on my thing because that's going to you know be bad for my product but what do we do for the kind of exactly exactly uh, experience oh that makes total sense total sense now when you think about um you know some of these insights applying that really to the church world uh obviously there's some similarity there how do we get people to come back you know one of the things in our world that we hear consistently is this idea that um you know people are attending less frequently and so lots of times even just last weekend i was visiting a church and um you know they're they were saying you know that their average person attends 1.2 times a month and i was like this is actually probably at the core of why i thought this would be an interesting conversation is um there i'm assuming there's a similar thing going on in the retail world how do we actually get people to come back that actually kind of breaking that cycle of non-attendance is an important thing what are you learning that you think from you know this that area that could apply to us as we're thinking about leading in our churches. Sure. So there's this, and I'll about to launch into, this is, you know, some great free retail consulting. So if you happen to own a massive international retail chain, have at it. But so there's a fascinating (laughs) thing that's happened with personalization in the last five years. Okay. There's this amazing exponential growth in the technology. We're we're now able to process data really quickly on a huge scale. So it wasn't possible 10 years ago in order to really be highly specific in targeting people. And then here's kind of the cycle that happens in a retailer to say, now I know everything that Rich buys and I know all his favorite products. So I can give him really personalized coupons. And then, you know, the dog food guy and the cereal guy and, the, you know, all those sort of category managers that we talked about who are in charge of selling specific things say exactly what you said, which is, 
Rich already buys dog food. So there's no way I'm giving him a discount on that. So I want to think of something that I want to sell him that he doesn't buy because I'm going to upsell him. or I'm going to get him into a new category or whatever, and I'm going to use the data for that. And this dynamic happens over and over. And I'll often sit with retailers and say, walk me through your program. That's exactly what they described to me. And I say, you have just spent millions of dollars on personalization technology, and you're using it specifically to give people things they don't want. Like, does that seem <laughs> backwards to you, right? Like, it's or yeah. at least sometimes by accident, they got the stuff they wanted. Now you're using technology to make sure they never get offers on the stuff they want. And so it's this really backwards mentality that happens by accident. Nobody meant to do it, right? So what we find then in retail, and I'll make the connection in a second to the church, because I think there's a real parallel, is that if you actually do give people the discounts on the things they want, A, as we talked about, they'll come to your store and they'll spend more. B, they will love you because nobody else does that. All the other retailers are following the sort of spam you with irrelevant offers strategy. And so when someone comes along that actually feels like, they're giving you the stuff you want. Uh, it, it's amazing. It feels good, right? They stand out. Uh, and over time, you actually get a lot more repeat visits and a lot more sales from those customers. Just by doing something so obvious when you say it, which is just f- find out what they want and like do that, right? It's not a crazy idea. Um, yes. But accidentally, we were doing the opposite. And I think yeah. the dynamic that we see in the, in the churches... And I think I've been through this process. I've been on both sides of this, even, I would say, is to say, we set out this big mission in front of us, right? This is what we believe God has called us to do. And in order to do that, we're going to need all kinds of volunteers, and we're going to need money, and we're going to need this, and we're going to need that. And here's our congregation, and these are the ones who are going to, we're going to mobilize to do this. And so I need now 300 volunteers to make this happen. And I've got 150 who were like really eager. They put up their hand really fast. And now I got to turn up the pressure and turn the screws to get the other 150. And you see the, the dynamic that has happened now is that if I'm just that guy coming to church and, you know, I've had a busy week at work and I've brought my family and, you know, maybe I'm just checking the place out. What I feel from you, whether you ever intended it or not, is that what these guys are all about is getting me to do something I don't want to do. Like, I didn't come here saying, how can I volunteer? How can I put in more hours? How can I give more money? I I may get on board with the mission and want to do that. But my main emotional thing that I'm getting from you is, you're trying to make me do something I don't want to do. And that gets my back up, and I'm defensive. And actually, the more pressure I feel, the less I want to do it, right? It's like, if anyone's ever walked into a furniture store, and like nine salesmen pounce on you, right? It's like when my hand was on the door coming in, I wanted to buy a couch. That was my main driver. My main driver now is like, get me out of here. These guys are attacking me, right? (laughs) And so they took a guy who wanted to buy a couch and turned him into a guy who wanted to leave just with this kind of intense emotional pressure. And I think it's well-intentioned, right? Because we're all about the mission. But I think as church leaders... We need to realize that, you know, 
when I've fully bought into the mission, it doesn't yet mean that everyone around me has. And what are they feeling from me emotionally? Like, is it an invitation or is it pressure to help them with their agenda? And I think that's a real uh, dynamic that we need to sort of check ourselves on in, in ministry. Okay. I, I love this. I, you know, I love as simple as it sounds, uh, profound to do, uh, listen to what people want and then give it to them. It's amazing how, you know, how crazy that can be. Um, <laughs> yeah. how, how would you push us on the listening side? So part of coming out of your environment, obviously, there's like a big data thing going on. There's a, um, you know, you've got actual kind of customer data. What would you think, um, you know, for medium-sized church, what can we be doing to better listen to people? Great. Yeah. So, I mean, I think part of it is a logistical thing of let's really practically almost like announce we're going to do this and then set up forums to do it, whether it's an online survey, whether it's you get some people together for a conversation, you know, with corporate word would be focus groups. You'd probably call it something different in the church, but but basically just an open conversation where the purpose is to listen to people, whether it's annual meeting, whatever that is. And I think the keys to making it happen, sort of a few thoughts. One are one is the the spirit of it has to be genuine, right? Like it has to you have to be ready to hear things that aren't what you wanted to hear, right? Um if you if you go in sort of ready to dismiss each complaint or objection, uh, people are going to quickly shut down. So that's one. Two is, I think, at least on a few things where possible, really quick action goes a really long way. Okay. So um, it doesn't have to be the big stuff. But if you can say, like, you guys said this on Saturday, and it's Monday, and we changed it because we're listening to you. That creates a real like, oh, they actually do care what we say. So like famous um, CEO Jack Welch at GE in the 80s used to force his line managers to have these sessions where they would stand in the middle of the room and listen to feedback from the line workers. And the rule was on the spot, they had to make a decision to say, yes, we're going to implement your idea or not. And so it wasn't just like, I'm going to stand here and listen to you. We'll write it all in the flip chart. You all know we're throwing it in the garbage after you leave the room kind of thing. It was like, no, you have to um, you have to be willing to say it's a good idea and we'll do it. We'll put it into action. So I think that's one. And then the other, and this is a lot more subtle, I think, is that you have mm-hmm. to, it's really important to listen to what people say. You have to also realize that what people say isn't always right. So what what do I mean by that? There's this there's this phenomenon in retail where and especially, you know, my deeper background is in supermarkets. If you ask people what kind of food they like to buy, they will tell you that they like to buy healthy <laughs> and organic and free range and all of this, right? It's like, it's got a name. We call it aspirational reporting, right? When I ask you what you yes. do, you tell me what you aspire to do. And that's very different than what you do. Cause I go look at your history. It's like, oh, are those the chips and the Pepsi were organic and healthy, were they, right? So, um, oh, so there's this interesting sort of gap between, and they're not lying, right? There's a gap between, 
the reality of what people do and even their self-perception. So I think as churches, we have to think about absolutely like listening to people is, you know, it's table stakes. It's incredibly valuable. And it's not just valuable because you learn. It's valuable on the other side because they feel listened to. Right. But then there's another level that as leadership, we need to discern. Are there ways where the community is saying one thing, but maybe actually driven on a different level by something else? And that's tougher to discern, but it's, it's I think, really important. Yeah, so I love that. Just to kind of uh, underline a couple things there that jumped out to me as you're going through that. First of all, I love this idea of yeah. listening and then taking action right away. I think that's a um, – or, or listening with the intent of what are those things that we could actually action on, we could actually um, – you know, put into play, I can imagine that in that kind of environment, using the Jack Welch example, that would then encourage the next time when we go back to people and say like, hey, um, we would love to, you know, know what you think on this issue. Um, they would be like, oh, well, I remember last time when they asked, they actually did something about it, um, which I think makes a huge exactly. difference. And and people over time, I think that creates a positive feedback loop. I can see how that would, um, would generate a better listening culture in our church. And I think we've all probably, you know, or maybe not all the churches that are listening, but a lot of the kind of um, churches that are trying to move with intention have done those surveys, have done that kind of listening, the formal listening process, and have done exactly what you said, which is we put it all on a piece of paper. Um, we might even have somebody type it up into a report, and then it just ends up on the bottom shelf. And um, that's a problem, right? That's a demotivator for sure. And then I love this aspirational, this idea of what do people do rather than what they say, Um I wonder if a part of that is, you know, is even getting, putting a little bit of our um, almost like armchair sociologist hat on and being avid watchers of people. Is there something happening in uh, the retail space that, that, that is um, maybe even more than just data? It's actually watching consumers as they participate in the store. Is that the kind of thing we should be thinking about even as people are, you know, just living their life around, even as, as we're kind of engaging with normal people, how can we be kind of observing what they're doing um, in, in the real world? Absolutely. I mean, I think there's data is great. Um, but there, there are certain things that can only be caught by a human sitting and intentionally watching. Um, and so like a, 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 an example that really stands out to me, I remember reading an article by this really innovative design firm and they were designing a, this, you know, $100,000 piece of hospital equipment. Uh, and they sat and they watched nurses use it all day. And one of the, like just sitting there, right? Across the hall, watch them use it, make notes. And one of the things that they caught as they did this in this thing that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars is that every nurse all day who came to use it had this moment where both she needed both of her hands to perform a function and she awkwardly looked around for a place to put her pen. And so they put a pen holder right in the middle of this thing. And you would never in a million years mm. come up with that sitting in a boardroom trying to design the equipment. Like you will only get that by watching real world use. And it's like a high tech piece of equipment, right? Um, and so I don't know, like I don't have examples of this happening in ministry, but it would be fascinating to sit in the lobby of your church on a Sunday morning with no task other than watch people walk in where do they go? 
where do they stand for a minute confused about where they're supposed to drop off their kids? Where is their, they're trying to find a place to sit or trying to find a place to put down their stuff or hang coats or I don't know, right? I don't know what it is. That's the point. The point is you have to sit there in the real situation with, if you're, if you're greeting people and you've got a hundred tasks on your list, you won't see it. But if the goal is I'm just going to sit and watch and see what people do, um, you may get some interesting insights pretty quickly, actually. Yeah, I was recently at a church where um was there on a weekend in, in one of their campuses, and it was a beautiful building, multi-million dollar building, and they had me there trying to help them with some stuff. And um, I was giving them some feedback. It's actually very similar to what you were just saying, giving them some feedback on kind of their, their building. And, um, I was actually a little bit surprised how little signage there was. And, um, you know, I was standing in this lobby, you know, just, you know, massive cavernous, I don't know, 40 foot ceilings, beautiful, like just a really, a really incredible facility. But actually I couldn't tell if there was nothing in the space that if I had kids, um, I would know that there were kids in environments down this one end of the building. And so, you know, right. I joked with the yeah. executive pastor I was with. I said, you know, a lot of times I've heard architecture firms say like, you know, the lines on the carpet, they really tell people that they should move in this direction. Or, you know, you see how this this colored wall, and he starts laughing. You see how this colored wall over here is a different color because that is what draws people in. Uh, I said, I don't think that actually works in the real world. That might look good on a piece of paper. And so he stops me and he says, you know what, that's literally what the architect told them. That was like, you know, these kind of super <laughs> subtle yeah. cues. Um, would actually move people along. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't think it does, you know, as a new person coming to this environment, um, it, it, it's not working. And so how do we get ourselves out of our own heads even to try to observe, I think is a critical piece, uh, you know, of this puzzle for sure. That's right. I mean, even just having the question in your head is a real help, right? Um, right. Think, thinking of retail, the way this is being done in retail, which may interest people is that retailers have heat maps, um, mm -hmm. so you put up a, a tracker for a couple days, it tracks body heat, and then you have this composite view that shows where are people walking the most, where are they spending the most time, where are they stuck and turning around, and then you can redesign stores, uh, or put products in the right place. Now, I don't think churches should be installing heat map technology, but having that idea in your head and having someone sit with a clipboard and try to observe where people are going, um, where is it congested, where is it empty and not being used, all of that, uh, it's very unlikely that you won't find some kind of insight pretty quick. Yeah. And some of that, I think too, on the, like, even just, we're talking about the physical space is to try to, I know for me is to try to pull in, um, you know, really look at other environments and say, what are they doing here? The example I use all the time with churches in that exact environment, I said, you know, listen, next time you go to an airport, look at the amount of wayfinding signage that's at an airport. That would be yeah. a good benchmark for your church. A lot of times our churches just don't have enough. So a uh, changing direction a little bit, but in a similar area, um, so a part of what you're talking about is using technology to customize and, um, you know, this kind of idea of personalization. And there are definitely people who are a little freaked out by this stuff. There's like the, um, we can overplay our hand. Now, I, I suspect that retailers know a lot more about me than they let on because there's some magic line around personalization that, um, you know, they know, in fact, <laughs> we did talked earlier about the, the, you know, the 
people say they're healthy, but they actually just eat a lot of chips. Um, <laughs> right, you know, right. There's got to be some line in there that you're using. How could some of that apply to us? I've wondered in the same way, you know, is there even just with some basic kind of CRM or customer, you know, um, or even just church management software, we can do some of that customization. But is there a line we need to be aware of? Is there something we need to be thinking about how we communicate in a way that actually is effective with our people that doesn't freak them out? Sure. Well, I mean, I think there's there's a couple things. One is that very basic CRM is to, um, you know, to watch the volume. So how often am I getting messages out to people? Um, and there's a there's a point of diminishing returns where people are just simply going to tune out, right? And so, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in the in the marketing world, that sort of looks like unsubscribe rate. If I start getting my unsubscribe rate too high, I know I need to take my foot off the gas a little. Um, and and you know, a similar thing for church could be, you know, comments or complaints or, or you know, whatever that might, what whatever that might look like. But then I think the other thing, you know, all of the stuff we're talking about, it's about listening. It's about getting insights into pe- where people are at. It's about understanding, you know, where the community at is, is and where individuals are. And then once we have that insight, it needs to be used wisely, right? So, we talk about this gap between you know what we aspire to do and what we actually do. So if you have an insight like that about your converse, congregation, you don't go the next Sunday and say, "Yeah, I know you all say you really want to do evangelism, but we figured out you all don't, and you're a bunch of lazy Christians." Like that's not the you know the way to use that information, right? And so there's a certain um, you know what is the what is the right next step for somebody. Um, and actually a lot of good marketing is about not trying to move people three steps at a time, right? Um, if you never buy, I'll go back to grocery cause we're kind of doing those parallels, right? If you never buy, um, cereal with me, then I'm not going to send you a coupon that says buy five boxes of cereal and get a discount, right? You're going from zero to five. Now, if you buy four boxes a week, that's a perfect coupon for you because it takes you one little step forward. And so I think, you know, this idea of even at a basic level, getting people into different groups within the congregation in terms of how we're communicating with them to say, you know, let's say we're, we're trying to promote a membership class, right? We don't have to send it to everybody, mm-hmm. right? Who are the people for whom that's the right next step? How can we get that list? Because A, if I've already done the membership class and you email me to tell me about it, it's like, really? You know, I feel like I'm just a number at the church now. You don't even know me, right? Um, And so just simple stuff like removing the people who have already done it from the list is good, basic. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also, if I attended a newcomer's class last week, maybe it's not the time for me to be on the radical giving campaign email the next week. Right. And so Mm -hmm. it's, it's about figuring out what's a good reasonable next step for different, for different people. And then let's just focus on helping them take that one step. And I think that's a good, you know, without trying to get highly personalized, that's a good approach for a lot of churches. Yeah. I love that idea of, you know, what is the small next step for people? I think that's really practical for us to, as a takeaway that um, instead of us, I, I think a lot of times in the church, we're like, we see there's like a mass of people. And then we see there's not a lot of people that we would say are whatever we would describe as the fully devoted followers of Christ. Like we would say, there's all these people attending my church. And then here's the people yes, who kind yes. of are everything that we would represent. We would say we're looking for in Christians. 
Um, and, and we have this massive jump to that step, right? We're like, well, in order to do that, here are the eight things you need to do as opposed to what if we, what if we found ways to use the data that we have already to help a segment of people take that next step? I love that. I think that's a really good practical, um, you know, takeaway for, for ours for sure. Yeah, great. Now, what would you say? Anything else? Uh, so part of the reason why, I list, dear listener, as you're listening, and a part of the reason why I'm doing this is because I want to encourage you to be thinking about people in your church that you're like, hmm, I'd love to tap their, uh, you know, their brain a little bit. They're, you know, they're in, a, in an adjacent kind of business, adjacent part of the marketplace. Well, I think there's some stuff we can learn there. And today, I think it's been a good example of that. We've pulled out a few learnings that we could all apply to our church. Anything else you'd love to say, uh, Joel, to the, you know, few thousand church leaders that are listening in about about this whole area of personalization and loyalty that you think could apply to our churches as we wrap up? Well, I mean, I think the the big thing I would say actually coming out of our conversation is, uh, and slightly different than that, is to a comment you said in the introduction, which is that there are probably people in your church with marketplace experience that could benefit you. Um, and mm-hmm. I think kind of my, my general word of advice would be the vast majority would love to be asked to leverage that for the church and for the kingdom. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, uh, and in a, in a funny way that actually becomes a really personalized experience. So think about the contrast between, (laughs) I need a hundred greeters to make my weekend service work. Rich, will you be one of the hundred like sign here and we'll kick off an automated process where no one will ever talk to you again versus rich, I heard you actually have a bunch of experience in web design and I'm trying something new and I'd love to bounce it off you. Could we grab a coffee? The second one feels like, you know me, you care about me. Um, I'm really excited to be able to use what I do during the week to help out the church. Uh, And it's just a great experience overall. And you're going to get a lot more benefit out of that than you are by getting them on the greeter list anyway. Right. And so I think um, and, and maybe there's sort of a hesitation around, you know, that's what they get paid for. Am I crossing boundaries? But my experience, by and large, people would be thrilled to use it for the church. And actually, they love to jump in and use their expertise and feel like they're really kind of helping move the mission forward. Yeah, I, I love that. I think a lot of our churches struggle from, and, and you've used the example that I've, I often think about. We, we struggle with this thing where it's like, we don't really know what to do with marketplace leaders. We're, we're like, could you hand out programs on a Sunday? Or could you be an elder or an yeah. overseer, like the very highest point of our, you know, kind of organization? That's right. And we don't have That's a lot right. in between. Like we don't. It's either like stand here and do this total perfunctory thing that 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 isn't, you know, that sure we need it, but but it doesn't really leverage people very well. Or it's like, yeah, I'm going to need you to sign up for you know monthly meetings, and the entire kind of fiduciary responsibility is going to land on your shoulders. That's right. Um, yeah. You know. And by the way, we only have ten of those spots, so the rest of you are kind of out of luck yeah yeah exactly i think that's great joel i really appreciate you being on the show today and encouraging us uh your friend appreciate you uh doing this thanks for being on the show today thanks rich it's been great thank you for tuning in to this week's unseminary podcast don't be shy we'd love to connect check out unseminary inbox you can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week plus you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use connect with rich on twitter 
at Rich Birch or through email, rich at unseminary.com. Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com. It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary.